Welcome to World Footprints Radio, the show where we celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage. Featuring your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Now, World Footprints Radio. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us today on World Footprints Radio. It's a great day to travel and leave positive footprints. We're your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we're going to take you places where no one else does. If you're joining us for the first time, thank you and welcome to our world of socially conscious and responsible travel and living. Who do we have on tap today, honey? Well, dear, today World Footprints goes exploring through the lens of a filmmaker bringing hope to millions, a cruise ship doctor turned novelist, and a barrier-free travel writer. First, communities in crisis need knowledge and empowerment, and film aid provides both to millions of people suffering the effects of war, poverty, displacement, or disaster. Caroline Barron is the founder of FilmAid, and she joins us from the field to tell us how FilmAid is projecting hope and changing lives through the power of film. Then Dr. Paul Davis is a cruise ship doctor turned mystery writer. Dr. Davis will share how he used his insider knowledge and years of experience at sea as the backdrop for his crime mystery novel, Cruise Ship Crime, a Medical Murder Mystery. Finally, travel writer Candy Harrington returns to our show as the author of several books about accessible travel and the publisher of Emerging Horizons, a website that offers expert advice, news, and information about accessible and barrier-free travel. Candy will join us to share some advice for physically challenged travelers. We welcome your comments at any time about anything we're doing. Email us at comments at worldfootprints.com. Also, there's a Contact Us page on our website at worldfootprints.com where you can connect with us. And if you want to follow us in real time, please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And there are links to our social networks and our newsletter subscription on our website, worldfootprints.com. And we'd also like to take this time to acknowledge our newest distributor, People's TV Network. Communities in crisis need knowledge and empowerment. FilmAid provides both to millions of people suffering the effects of war, poverty, displacement, or disaster. Since 1999, FilmAid has worked in partnership with other global aid organizations to bring critical information to more than one million people in places as diverse as Macedonia, Kenya, Tanzania, Afghanistan, and the U.S. Gulf Coast. Caroline Barron is the founder of FilmAid, and she joins us from the field to tell us how FilmAid is projecting hope and changing lives through the power of film. Welcome. Hi, how are you, Tanya? <laughs> Good, thank you. Now, Caroline, uh, you know, probably at the, at the forefront of most people's thoughts is you come from the film industry and, and um you know, kind of mainstream industry. Tell us a little bit about FilmAid and how you went from your your award from the Wonder Years to what you're doing today with FilmAid. Sure. You know, I've been um, in the film business for, for quite a while, and about 12 years ago, um, during the war in Kosovo, I was really distraught at what was happening, and I, I felt like I needed to do something to help. I was watching all these images of people fleeing from their homes in Kosovo into Macedonia and Albania. And I felt like there had to be something that I could do, even though I was just a filmmaker. I wasn't a doctor. I wasn't an aid worker. But I felt that I was a capable human being, and I had to figure out a way that I could actually help. And I heard a report on NPR on a Sunday morning that said that the biggest problems, I think it was Leanne Hansen on NPR, um, and she was saying the biggest problems 
in the refugee camps were surprisingly not the lack of food, shelter, or medicine, but they were the biggest problems were psychological problems. People were were frightened. Mm. They didn't know if they were going to be going back home again. They were bored. They were idle, especially the, the youth, the adolescents. And, you know, that, that was one of the most crucial issues, was the psychological impact, and it wasn't really being addressed. The other issues were being addressed, thankfully, but, um, you know, for food, shelter, medical care, but not the psychological um, issues. Mm-hmm. So I had an idea that, you know, thinking about what I do for a living, um, making movies, I thought maybe we could bring movies to the kids, and that would be a distraction for them. And that's sort of how it started, and I could take you through the next steps. Wow, so that, so that really was your aha moment. What, what types of films do you bring to, to the kids, and, and where do you travel? Um, what, what communities do you work in these days? Well, basically, just to go back for one second about you know, the way it all, all began, I, mean, I, I knew nothing about AIDS, zero. I didn't know that the UN had different divisions in it, which is embarrassing to admit right now, but I was completely clueless. Um, and I say that because I think it's important for people to realize that they don't have to be experts to, to make something happen, to make a difference. Um, and so in this situation, you know, we started in, in Kosovo because of the, the urgent crisis there. Um, and we initially brought over all kinds of movies, whatever we could get donated. And we started showing them, and that was our the first big lesson was that it is so important to include the beneficiaries, the people who are the ones that you're bringing the aid to, whatever the aid is, and that it really is important that they make the decisions or help to make the decisions about about what what the aid is. So in this particular case, we realized that the, film, the people that we're showing the films to should have an opportunity to decide what films are appropriate for them, what films they would like to see. Um, so one example of a film that we showed, which was actually criticized um, somewhat here, but incredibly well-received, and people were so grateful for it there in Kosovo, was Titanic. Hmm. It was like, it was never one film in the world at the time, and the, you know, Kosovars were actually very sophisticated people, and they all learned, many of them learned English by watching movies, and they were so grateful to be able to see the film that everybody else was seeing, to feel connected to the rest of the world, and feel like they weren't forgotten, that they were a part of the rest of the world. And just because they had this horrible thing happen to them, you know, they thought they shouldn't, you know, not be allowed to, uh, to see Titanic. And yet people from here would say, how could you show them Titanic? You know, it's just incredibly depressing. And, and I said, well, these are human beings. We're all human beings. This is entertainment. They wanted to see it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, why not? And, uh, and so aid workers and, and people who them were so grateful for it. And there's a perception here of what, I think this happens a lot, a perception of what they, in quotes, need. Um, when in fact they are us. We're all the same. We're all human beings. We all have the same needs. One thing that we, we learned from the initial screening in Macedonia was that we were, we were reaching all kinds of people, not just children. Whole families were coming, aid workers were coming, and we realized that we had, you know, no pun intended, a very captive audience, people that really had nothing else to feed their their minds. And actually, when I first started Film Aid, I uh, called a friend of mine who's a Bosnian filmmaker, film director, 
And he was in Sarajevo when the city was under siege, and they organized a film festival. And people ran to the theater at risk of being killed by sniper fire just to get something to feed their minds. Oh. And so, yeah, that, was, that was sort of helped me begin, because it felt like he was someone who lived through it and really understood the situation, uh, a similar situation, and, and, and was just very much in favor of the project. So, when we went to, to, to Macedonia and we started showing movies, we realized that you know, people really needed entertainment, but they also needed information and education. Mm-hmm. And it was so, it was so difficult, and it, and it continues to be so difficult, although it's easier now because technology has really advanced so much in the past 12 years, but it's very difficult to disseminate information. So, for example, UNICEF was passing out a landmine awareness brochure that people weren't reading. It was a pamphlet. And we videotaped it and projected it. And then we were able to reach so many more thousands of people by doing that. Um, yeah. so, so not only not only do you you, you distribute um, kind of mainstream films, you also uh, produce um, kind of PSA type, uh, inf- you know, informational type uh, videos for for people to to help make them aware and, and educate them on current situations, etc. That's pretty much what exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. I mean, you know, you think about how you. You know, you learn how you get information, how I get information. And so much of it is through through media. So much of it is through storytelling. And, you know, we realized that we could very, you know, effectively communicate life-saving information through short films, through stories. So a film about, you know, and to show them to diverse populations at once. Like if you're showing a film about AIDS awareness to men, women, and children, then her husband is not going to go home to his wife and say, it doesn't exist, AIDS doesn't exist. I mean, he could say it, but, but they will all watch the movie together. You know, if you are receiving a mosquito net and you're in a refugee camp in northern Kenya, but you've never seen a mosquito net before and you don't know what to do with it, like many people there, you might be sleeping on it. Mm-hmm. So we made it, instead of hanging it to... Uh, Keep the mosquitoes out. So we made a film, or say the refugees themselves made a film about how to hang their mosquito nets. So how to protect themselves from getting malaria. So we do a lot of educational and informational films in addition to the entertaining films. What are FilmAid's current projects? They're currently working in um, refugee camps in Kenya, working in Haiti, working in rural areas of Kenya and in the slums of Nairobi. I'm working on the Thai-Burma border with Burmese refugees, currently. Right now in Haiti, actually today, uh, we are showing films, showing the presidential debates to help inform Haitians about their candidates, let them make the decisions and help them encourage them to vote and help them make decisions on on who they want to vote for. You've traveled extensively throughout your career. How has travel impacted you? Enormously. I started FilmAid, I think, because of all the travel I had done. I was a very curious 
woman in my 20s and 30s, and I, I just would pick up and go someplace far away after, after each film I worked on. So I traveled uh, extensively to the former Soviet Union, through Eastern Europe, through Southeast Asia. I, did, I worked on two films in India. And I just felt like a, very much a, a citizen of the world and very connected to the places that I had visited. And when so many, when the war in Kosovo was going on, I, I knew people from Kosovo. I knew people from that part of the world. And I felt very connected to them and felt that you know, it wasn't just something in the news. The real people who I potentially had a connection to and that I had to, to help them. So I would say that travel is probably... I think the most important thing um, that you can do in your life, or most expansive and, and wonderful and, um, and an amazing gift, and I think that, that, would, that it's for my own children something that I hope that they will uh, have a great interest in, and, and we, we, we take them now on a trip wherever we possibly can. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I echo and uh, ditto what you just said about travel um, for obvious reasons, which is why we do what we do. But, you know, travel is very transformative um, and and real travel should be transformative. What has been your uh, what experience have you had that's really transformed you? I had I've had a few, um, more than a few. I, I think my first uh, my experience traveling in the former uh, Czechoslovakia in the eighties was amazingly transformative. Just to be in a place um, where the freedoms that that I had did not exist, and to experience life like that, and also to, in a funny way, help me prioritize what was important in my life, because there was so, there was, there was, a, there was a, a joy and a richness and, a, and a, um, a richness, I guess, in the lives of people who had so much less than I had mm-hmm. in so many places, um, and yet coming from a place of, of privilege where I could go back to my lovely home with all the freedoms that I had and being very aware of that as well, but trying to take the good, um, yet understand the negative. So I think that those experiences of, of being in places where people have so much less, um, yet in some ways so much more, were very transformative. And then when I, I was the co-producer of a film called Kama Sutra in India, and we had to move locations from one city to another, and the crew was... Uh, meant to fly in a, in a, par- a charter plane, and the trucks would be traveling by land, of course, and it was a, about a 36-hour journey or more by road. And it became clear that someone needed to go physically with the trucks to make sure that they all arrived in the city of Jaipur um, in time for this the day of shooting. And I went, and... It was one of the most amazing experiences, and it taught me so much about culture and life and people, and, and, and especially that particular culture. But in terms of how things really, really worked in India and, and, how, and why things didn't work the way one might want them to work, and it was an amazing, um, amazing experience 
Mm-hmm. And there was another, you know, being in, I can go on forever with these stories, but being in uh, Afghanistan in 2002 and showing revised to street children, orphans, the girls uh, did not expect to be invited into the room where the film was being shown. Um, the boys thought it was going to be a film about fighting. The No one in the room, none of the kids had ever seen a photograph of a woman. They had never seen a film. They had never seen an image of a man beneath the neck. And they had, this is the most unbelievable thing, they had never heard music because it was prohibited under the Taliban. So it was the most moving, uh, you know, just sort of awakening moment um, to watch them watch the movie Wizard of Oz, and to share that experience. Caroline, of all of the places and people that you've been able to encounter during your varied and diverse career, is there a story that has been pretty poignant for you in terms of of a life changed, particularly with some of the things that you've done with Film Aid? Yes, I've definitely um, spoken to many people over the years who have gone through our programs, you know, either working with us for to help um, with the large outdoor screenings or have gone through our filmmaking program, which is called the Participatory Video Program. Um, one young man in particular who was a child soldier told me he wouldn't, uh, he, he didn't want to remember who he was and, and said, I, I wouldn't want to know him, um, the, the him he was before. And how you know, amazingly what Filmy was doing, just initially just the screenings, just being a part of the screenings, just was such an enriching experience and sort of shocking experience for him that Abe would be, you know, sort of delivered in that way. And he then very bravely applied to get into the filmmaking program and realized and he was a talented musician and a talented cameraman. Mm. And he's now become a teacher in the program. And, you know, he's, he's, like, he's like religious about it. You know, he's just completely um, has been taken over by his own creativity and the creative process and the ability to communicate through, through film, through, you know, through storytelling. Uh, he's a remarkable, remarkable leader now, and, and uh, it's, it's a wonderful thing to see. And then women, you know, there are many of the women who are in these refugee camps who work in a place called Dadaab, where there are 300,000 Somalis, 300,000 Somalis, and they, the camps were built for 90,000 people, so the overcrowding is just, you know, it's inhumane. Um, and most of the women there have been raped, uh, you know, they've all seen horrible atrocities, terrible things happen to their families, their friends, and yet... We had several women, sorry, there are several women working with FilmAid as facilitators who stand up in front of audiences of hundreds, if not thousands of men, talking about and discussing a topic of a film that they will have seen, whether it be, you know, violence against women or early marriage or whatever the issue is, but to have... To, to, to watch a woman who, you know, one in particular who I know had, had been raped, she had a young boy as a result of the rape, and 
and really had been very timid before and suddenly found her voice and, and her strength and, and now is, is also a leader in the community and, and very, very brave in terms of discussing these issues and bringing them out in the open. Mm. Well, I mean, it's certainly what you're doing is uh, is is very powerful. It's changing lives and, and projecting uh, hope as as we've discussed uh, you know through this interview and I just want to um, point out that World Footprints is a proud uh, media sponsor of the work that you're doing uh, with Filmade and uh, we're, we're very happy that you were able to join us this morning and I know there are tons of ways that our listening audiences can support you from either uh, donating equipment uh, money is always good um, but, uh, you know, you have volunteer and internship opportunities. Right, yes, there's plenty of opportunities. Um, I would recommend that people just go to our website, filmaid.org, and get in touch and see what the, the numerous ways are that, that people can help. I mean, a lot of it is, is money. You need money to support the programs. It's just logistically expensive to, make, to do this kind of work in difficult areas. And... You know, whenever I, I hear about a crisis today, you know, Japan, Libya, I just, I'm desperate to, to go and, and to put the screens up and to do whatever, communicate information or bring entertainment or relief and, 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 and bring this to, uh, to as many people as, as possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and this is sort of one thing I wanted to add, which I do want to... Everyone should remember Richard Holbrook, um, who was such a strong advocate for refugees, for displaced people, was a big supporter of Filmade, and a terrible loss for, for I think, the, uh, the international community and, and people um, at risk everywhere. And, uh, he just passed away recently, as we should all remember, Ambassador Holbrook. Yes, indeed, indeed. Caroline Barron, the founder of Filmade, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, guys. After the break, a tale of murder and mystery on the high seas as doctor-turned-author Paul Davis brings us into his world. You have uh, romances, you have uh, uh, issues with certain things in life, and uh, Dr. Mayhew is a normal individual and goes through some of these things, and some of them are very humorous. Next on World Footprints Radio. Hi, my name is Anna. I'm from Romania. Make sure you don't miss the World Footprints Radio every Tuesday. Want to travel for less? Visit the worldfootprints.com travel portal to find exclusive, non-published sales on travel. Our dynamic travel deals page updates daily with the latest sales from our partners, and you can't find these deals anywhere else. We've seen sales for as little as $9 a night for hotel rooms and $49 airline tickets. So stop by worldfootprints.com to see where you can go for less. Also, make sure you visit the Travel Marketplace for sales on travel essentials and services like passport processing. Join award-winning World Footprints Radio, a leader in socially conscious travel for inspiring, entertaining, and educational shows. Meet well-known guests like Bobby Kennedy Jr., actress Stephanie Powers, director Ken Burns, David Rockefeller Jr., and other celebrities, newsmakers, and industry professionals who celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage, and support public diplomacy. Travel with us to unique places around the world, 
Join us in our efforts to raise awareness about environmental conservation and human rights issues and learn what you can do to leave positive footprints one step at a time. Visit our interactive and informative website, worldfootprints.com. Hi, I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. And I'm Ian Fitzpatrick, and we're the host of World Footprints Radio. World Footprints Radio and Travel Radio have joined forces to bring you our award-winning brand of socially conscious travel radio. On World Footprints Radio, you'll meet celebrities committed to travel philanthropy and the protection of our planet. And we'll introduce you to the people and places who will give you a taste of culture and heritage from their point of view. Travel the planet with every episode of World Footprints Radio right here on Travel Radio. And when you travel, remember to leave positive footprints one step at a time. World Footprints Radio is an award-winning broadcast and leader in socially conscious travel. Hosts Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick bring you entertaining and informative interviews with well-known celebrities, newsmakers, authors and industry professionals. From environmental leaders like Bobby Kennedy Jr. and David Rockefeller Jr. to conservationists like actress Stephanie Powers and director Ken Burns. Tune in to hear travel journalism at its best. Visit unique places from around the world and stop by the worldfootprints.com website for comprehensive travel information including special daily travel deals. Hi, I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. And I'm Ian Fitzpatrick. A few years ago, we decided to leave our respective legal practices to live a more purposeful travel life and help others leave positive footprints. World Footprints was born and was quickly recognized for its award-winning journalism. We've covered events from the Olympics to a Titanic expedition, and we've discussed conservation, environmental, and public diplomacy initiatives. Join us for award-winning radio and visit our website, worldfootprints.com, for daily travel deals and comprehensive travel information. Join award-winning World Footprints Radio, a leader in socially conscious travel, for inspiring, entertaining, and educational shows. Meet well-known guests like Bobby Kennedy Jr., actress Stephanie Powers, and director Ken Burns, along with other celebrities, newsmakers, and industry professionals who celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage, and support public diplomacy initiatives. Travel with us to unique places around the world and join us on our efforts to raise awareness about environmental, conservation, and human rights issues, and learn what you can do to leave positive footprints one step at a time. Also, visit our interactive and informative website at worldfootprints.com. For the latest and last-minute travel deals, visit the worldfootprints.com travel portal to find exclusive non-published sales on travel. Our dynamic travel deals page updates daily with the latest sales from our partners. You can't find these deals anywhere else, and we've seen sales for $9 per night for hotels and $49 airline tickets. So stop by worldfootprints.com to see where you can go for less. Also, make sure you visit the Travel Marketplace for sales on travel essentials and services. Hi, my name's Jennifer Jones, and I'm from Glasgow in Scotland. I love listening to the World Footprints radio show online. You're listening to World Footprints Radio, awarded as the best travel audio podcast by the North American Travel Journalists Association. Here's Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. Dr. Paul Davis is an actual cruise doctor turned mystery writer. Dr. Paul used his insider knowledge and years of experience as the backdrop for his crime mystery novel, Cruise Ship Crime, A Medical Murder Mystery. 
Dr. Paul joins us to take us behind the scenes and share insider knowledge of the colorful and self-contained universe of cruise ship officers, crew, and uh, eclectic passengers. Welcome to our show. Thank you. Now, this is a very, uh, this book is very intriguing as I read it. And, you know, in some ways it sounds like cruise ship crew members live in an alternate universe. Talk about your normal day and how this book evolved. Well, the normal day of a doctor on a ship, you get up, uh, have your breakfast. Of course, it's very nice. All your uniforms are made for, uh, pressed and cleaned for you. Your breakfast is made, so life in that respect is very simple. Uh, you go and, uh, if there are no emergencies, go to the clinic. Uh, you'll first see crew. You see a uh, crew for about an hour or so, and you're actually the family doctor for the crew of anywhere from a couple of uh, hundred to a couple of thousand crew. And so you and usually one, two, or three nurses, depending on how many passengers and crew there are, will basically take care of everything from unwanted pregnancies to uh, um, people who have diabetes, people who have, you know, all kinds of just normal diseases and problems to some of the more unusual because you're stopping in unusual ports. You'll get all kinds of uh, tropical diseases. Uh, you know. mm. It almost sounds like a floating soap opera in some ways. Oh, uh, it is. <laughs> Very much so. And so, it, I mean, obviously it's provided you with a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of uh, inspiration for, for your books. Now, uh, I just want to kind of step back a little bit, uh, Dr. Paul. We've, we've done a few shows that have focused on cruise victims um, from missing passengers, unsolved crimes, etc. What have you observed during the course of your career well. as a cruise ship doctor? You you do have illness, and you do have people who jump overboard occasionally. Uh, you have people who are pushed overboard or done away with in other ways. I mean, it is it's a microcosm of the whole world. So uh, there is some treachery. Unfortunately, not everybody in this world is, you know, real nice. Uh, so there are things that happen mm-hmm. um, in the book as you remember there there are a few of those incidences that are um, outlined and you know part of the part of the whole novel uh, you have ways that these have developed and over time and um, you know you get to see what some of these things are that go on on a cruise ship. Sure. Now, I mean, have you had any cases that really are kind of out of the ordinary or uh, you've had to handle in uh, very unconventional manners due to the circumstances? That's that's part of being a ship's doctor. Uh, Oftentimes you have somebody who has a medical emergency and you're out in the middle of nowhere. Um, Sometimes you can get them to... uh, 
ashore, but uh, sometimes you have to deal with it on the ship in the meantime. And then sometimes when you get ashore, uh, I remember one case of a gentleman who had you know, been swimming in one of the tropical rivers uh, against medical advice, I might add. Mm-hmm. The river was rather polluted, but he said, oh, no, I'm going swimming anyway. And he got quite ill. He developed several parasites. We did not have the medicine for that. It's not one that you would normally carry on a ship. You have very well-maintained pharmacies on a ship for an awful lot of problems, but you know, not some of the weird and wonderfuls. And our next port was a fairly small part on the Amazon, and no pharmacy. I mean, you know, we were lucky to have uh, uh, anything there, and uh, Fortaleza. And so we basically um, uh, went to the local medicine man and said, uh, what do you got? Here's his symptoms. Here's the guy. And he says, well, I want to see him, which took an act of God to get somebody from shore onto one of these cruise ships. But we got him on. And he was amazed. He said, oh, can I have dinner here? And we said, <laughs> And we sent him back with all kinds of goodies from the kitchen and so forth and so on. And he put together a tea that uh, was most appropriate. I saved some of it, sent it to the university afterwards, and they said, yeah, you basically had uh, praziquantel, which is a drug that we use. And he said, but in tea form. So. Mm. Work. Mm. I did well. Wow. Well, you know, I think one of the, probably one of the tips, and I was going to ask you about this later, but one of the tips that, uh, that, uh, would be helpful to our audience members and to help them prepare for their next cruise is just to exercise common sense. Um, it, this sounds like this fellow just didn't. <laughs> um, yeah, no, and I mean, you know, cruise ships have wonderful food and they have all kinds of uh, safety measures for their uh, preparation because you have to with that many people eating and living in the single area and it's much safer usually to eat on the ship than it is on shore. Mm-hmm. Well, sure, you can eat some things on shore, but you have to be very careful and sure. you don't go swimming in the Amazon and, you know, you swim in the pool on the ship because it's, you know, got chlorine and it's been filtered, water, and so forth and so on. Sure, sure. Now, back to your book, that the main character, uh, Dr. Alan Mayhew, Mayhew uh, is essentially you. And, uh, and I, you seem to have written that from a first-person pr- uh, perspective. But talk about the ongoing plot line throughout the book and um, the events, perhaps, that uh, uh, the book... Um, mirrors in <laughs> in your own life and your real life as a cruise ship doctor well it uh, goes through how i initially ended up being a cruise ship doctor in the first place and goes through the events of life i mean you know you have uh, romances you have uh, uh, issues with certain things in life and uh, dr mayhew is a normal individual and goes through some of these things, and some of them are very humorous. Uh, Some of them are, um, you know, unfortunate or whatever. Uh, Life is not always perfect. Uh, 
but uh, it uh, it goes through a number of those things and um, allows you to see his life, but also the lives of many people around him. One of the interesting things is that they're they're fascinating characters on some of these ships. Mm-hmm. And what what is the mystery? Talk a little bit about the mystery plot line. Well, Dr. Mayhew, when he first comes on, uh, this is a cruise ship uh, gift that his kids have given him. Uh, and he comes on on this ship um, basically to relax for a week. And as he's there as a passenger and, you know, allows himself to sort of relax, he meets a cruise director, a very attractive young lady, and uh, they get to talking about this, that, and the other thing. And um, he flashes back for a number of times to things that had happened when he was a cruise doctor. And in particular, uh, one of the cruises that he was on, on a fairly well-to-do ship, uh, where uh, one of the individuals, one of the who's uh, tour directors uh, was um, found dead and it was felt to be a uh, um, natural causes he died of a heart attack uh, or that's what it seemed anyway and um, so the plot is through the book to find out uh, whether this was truly a murder or if it was uh, natural causes and Tiffany the uh, their protagonist, uh, she helps uh, Dr. Mayhew to discover what uh, really went on. Mm-hmm. Now, um, you know, as I was kind of going through this, I thought there might be a sequel in here, uh, just kind of like some of the other authors who keep their characters coming back time after time. Are you preparing for a sequel? Is there a sequel in the works? There are several sequels in the works. Uh huh. Good, good deal. And I know that you do signings uh, aboard your your ship, uh, book signings, and uh, and a lot of passengers have uh, remarked on uh, just how entertaining a cruise ship crime is. So I congratulate you on on that. Um, one last question before we go. You know, Dr. Mayhew, your character, has a great sense of humor, and I know you wrote this from kind of a, a first-person per, uh, perspective. What, uh, I'm sh- and I'm sure you've had to experience some very humorous events uh, on board. What's, uh, what event stands out in your mind as uh, probably the most humorous you've encountered? That would be hard to define the most humorous because there are so many. Um, I do remember one time uh, one of the uh, characters uh, is, a, uh, is a lady who is well described in the book, and I'll just say a uh, uh, very colorful Texan. And she has brought her husband's remains with her uh, in a vial, uh, or flask uh, because he wanted to be um, uh, his ashes spread at sea and um, of course that's that requires quite a bit of uh, paperwork and some people some waters won't allow this it's uh, kind of a complex thing so one day she was on the uh, one of the back decks and she was uh 
speaking to the ashes in a very humorous way uh, and uh, distributing her husband's uh, remains uh, to the wind. And I think uh, I think you'll, when you read it or if you have read it, you'll remember it quite well. But uh, she was quite a humorous lady and a sample of some of the humorous characters that do frequent cruise ships. <laughs> well, Dr. Paul Davis, we appreciate you joining us today. And for those crime mystery enthusiasts out there or those interested in a behind-the-scenes comical look at life on a cruise ship, uh, we have a link to Cruise Ship Crime on the show page and on Dr. Paul Davis's guest page on our website, World Footprints. Com. Thank you so much for joining us today, and happy sailing to you, my dear. Thank you very much. Up next, accessible travel expert Candy Harrington breaks down some barriers for the physically challenged traveler. They tell you what the, the historic places are accessible, and their bus, their DOT bus that goes around uh, the historic area is wheelchair accessible. So, you know, that's a whole lot better than it was five or six years ago. Uh, people can actually go and enjoy. Uh... Next on World Footprints Radio. Hi, my name is Marcia Alexion, and I'm talking to you from Vancouver right now. I am originally from Brooklyn, New York. I've been living in Vancouver for about 20 years, and I love World Footprints Radio. Want to travel for less? Visit the worldfootprints.com travel portal to find exclusive, non-published sales on travel. Our dynamic travel deals page updates daily with the latest sales from our partners, and you can't find these deals anywhere else. We've seen sales for as little as $9 a night for hotel rooms and $49 airline tickets. So stop by worldfootprints.com to see where you can go for less. Also, make sure you visit the travel marketplace for sales on travel essentials and services like passport processing. Join award-winning World Footprints Radio, a leader in socially conscious travel for inspiring, entertaining, and educational shows. Meet well-known guests like Bobby Kennedy Jr., actress Stephanie Powers, director Ken Burns, David Rockefeller Jr., and other celebrities, newsmakers, and industry professionals who celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage, and support public diplomacy. Travel with us to unique places around the world, Join us in our efforts to raise awareness about environmental conservation and human rights issues and learn what you can do to leave positive footprints one step at a time. Visit our interactive and informative website, worldfootprints.com. Hi, I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. And I'm Ian Fitzpatrick, and we're the host of World Footprints Radio. World Footprints Radio and Travel Radio have joined forces to bring you our award-winning brand of socially conscious travel radio. On World Footprints Radio, you'll meet celebrities committed to travel philanthropy and the protection of our planet. And we'll introduce you to the people and places who will give you a taste of culture and heritage from their point of view. Travel the planet with every episode of World Footprints Radio right here on Travel Radio. And when you travel, remember to leave positive footprints one step at a time. World Footprints Radio is an award-winning broadcast and leader in socially conscious travel. Hosts Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick bring you entertaining and informative interviews with well-known celebrities, newsmakers, authors and industry professionals. From environmental leaders like Bobby Kennedy Jr. and David Rockefeller Jr. 
to conservationists like actress Stephanie Powers and director Ken Burns. Tune in to hear travel journalism at its best. Visit unique places from around the world and stop by the worldfootprints.com website for comprehensive travel information including special daily travel deals. Hi, I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. And I'm Ian Fitzpatrick. A few years ago, we decided to leave our respective legal practices to live a more purposeful travel life and help others leave positive footprints. World Footprints was born and was quickly recognized for its award-winning journalism. We've covered events from the Olympics to a Titanic expedition, and we've discussed conservation, environmental, and public diplomacy initiatives. Join us for award-winning radio and visit our website, worldfootprints.com, for daily travel deals and comprehensive travel information. Join award-winning World Footprints Radio, a leader in socially conscious travel, for inspiring, entertaining, and educational shows. Meet well-known guests like Bobby Kennedy Jr., actress Stephanie Powers, and director Ken Burns, along with other celebrities, newsmakers, and industry professionals who celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage, and support public diplomacy initiatives. Travel with us to unique places around the world and join us on our efforts to raise awareness about environmental, conservation, and human rights issues and learn what you can do to leave positive footprints one step at a time. Also, visit our interactive and informative website at worldfootprints.com. For the latest and last-minute travel deals, visit the worldfootprints.com travel portal to find exclusive non-published sales on travel. Our dynamic travel deals page updates daily with the latest sales from our partners. You can't find these deals anywhere else, and we've seen sales for $9 per night for hotels and $49 airline tickets. So stop by worldfootprints.com to see where you can go for less. Also, make sure you visit the Travel Marketplace for sales on travel essentials and services. Hi, my name is Timothy Kendrick. I'm Grace Kendrick. And we love World Footprints Radio. And I'm a transplant from Michigan here in Vancouver and loving it. We love the radio. Thank you. And now, more of World Footprints Radio with your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. The name Candy Harrington may have a familiar ring because she's been on our show before. Uh, but you may know Candy also from her writings. She's a prolific writer who has authored several books about accessible travel, and she publishes a very popular website called Emerging Horizons that offers expert advice, news, and information about accessible and barrier-free travel. Candy, we're happy to welcome you back to our show. Oh, it's great to be here again. Now, the travel industry seems to be paying more attention to accessibility than it did years ago. And although there have been some advances in accommodation and regulation, there's still a lot of room for growth. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, I would agree um, totally. But I also have to say I've seen an interesting shift over the past oh, five or six years that the whole hospitality industry is moving from mandate to marketing edge. In other words, they're not making things accessible anymore because they have to, but because they see a market. They see the baby boomers. They see, you know, age-related disabilities, and they want everybody's money. Um, tourism is a tough market these days, so um, I think things are becoming more accessible. Mm-hmm. What, what are some of the, the more challenging industries? And off the top of my head, I would think about the cruise industry, although they're, they're seeming to provide more accessible rooms. Rooms, but you know, you have 
uh, luxury resorts and historic hotels, which may not have the physical infrastructure to uh, accommodate, say, a wheelchair. That's true, and especially, well, not so much, well, the hotels, but also the historic attractions, uh, you know, old houses and things like that. Um, a lot of times they'll have, you know, they can't alter the historic structure, but sometimes they'll have portable ramps. They won't be as accessible, like you won't be able to get to the second floor, but sometimes they'll have photo albums and such, or even a video of um, the upstairs area. So I think they're trying to accommodate as best they can, given the, the structure that they have there. It's, it's a tough call sometimes. In your travels and research, have you noticed a shift taking place in the infrastructure and various destinations that were not accommodating to the accessible traveler? Older cities that have uh, made the appropriate accommodations uh, with respect to walkways and streets and things at the street level. What are you seeing there? Um, I am actually. I was just. Uh, I'm taking a trip. Uh, we're going to be on a road trip. Uh, you know, later this month, and I'm doing some research. Uh, for example, in Charleston, South Carolina, and actually Savannah, Georgia. Both of them. Uh, Savannah now has an access guide, so it tells. They tell you what uh, the historic places are accessible, and their bus, their DOT bus that goes around uh, the historic area, is wheelchair accessible. So. You know, that's a whole lot better than it was five or six years ago. Uh, people can actually go and enjoy, um, like, Savannah and the history of it all, too. So it's, I'm looking forward to seeing that, too. This false dichotomy between accessibility and the aesthetic, it's often been grandfathered into laws that basically allow property owners to not make some of these changes. And what's your feeling about this? Is it a situation where we really just need to say, if we're a democracy, if we believe in freedom, we're going to just accommodate everyone, regardless of their abilities, regardless of uh, the things that they may face, and allow them the freedom and the experience that comes from being able to be more of a participant in society? I mean, I do agree with what you said in that respect, but, uh, you know, there's. I also have to say that if it's a very small little place that doesn't have any money and they're doing the best they can and to accommodate people, um, you know, you don't need to actually, like, bulldoze their whole building and start over, especially if it's a historic attraction. But if it's some place that's, and I have to say hotels, now, uh, outside of the historic hotels that's in a, a very historic building, I don't really see any reason for hotels not accommodating um you know, people with disabilities in this day and age because the ADA has been on the books for so long that the grandfathering thing, you've, you've got to have made some major alterations to your property uh, at this time. So I think that, you know, I'm on both sides of the fence there, I guess, firmly in the middle. <laughs> for some, an organized group trip may be the best way to f- find a, a new place to visit or see a region here at home or overseas, how challenging is it to find a tour operator that can accommodate uh, the differently able traveler? Well, I would say we have two different things here and overseas. Um, overseas, and, and if we're just going to talk about uh, the major, you know, Western uh, countries, Western Europe, uh, there are um, actually they have more tour operators over there that 
address access than I believe we do over here. Uh, There's not a lot of group tours over here that are really accessible um, outside of some of them that are just special group tours only for people with disabilities. Um, in other words, not they're not mainstreaming, you know, too much over here. Although, if you want to go on a bus tour, um, they do have to accommodate you, given 48 hours, doing a, in an over-the-road bus, like one of the Greyhound-type buses. Um, but most people don't know this, and if they don't know to ask, then they just assume it's not accessible. And so what, you, what you're saying is overseas, a lot of the, the bus companies, their buses, their, those those buses have been outfitted to lifts and what have you to accommodate wheelchair travelers more so than they have here? Um, I'm just saying that the operators there are more, they're more into mainstreaming. I don't know that they have more accessible buses than we do, but I found more mainstream tours, like more tours that um, will accommodate a wheelchair user, you know, amongst able-bodied people rather than having a whole group tour just especially for wheelchair users or people with disabilities, so they can just go out and travel like other people can. And, you know, it's, uh, I, I find it more mainstream. I don't find, uh, the tour operators I've found in the U.S., they tend to be travel agents that specialize in disability and they organize group tours. Um, so I don't find the big, you know, tour groups really, you know, doing a lot of mainstreaming. Mm-hmm. So uh, if we had, if there was a traveler, a listener out there um, who is um, an accessible traveler um, and they haven't really traveled before outside of this country or even throughout this country, um, what would you, what advice would you offer to that first time traveler or someone who's just kind of afraid? And, and what do you think some of the, the greatest barriers are to uh uh, 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 disabled people traveling? Well, I think most people are, you know, they have this fear of taking the first trip. And I think that is totally normal because it's a fear of the unknown. So I advise people, like in this country, to learn the laws, learn about the Air Carrier Access Act so you know what's going to happen when you board the airplane. That way you'll feel more comfortable with the whole process. Learn what an accessible hotel room has. Learn, you know, the features that you can ask for. That way you know what you're going to find when you're away from home. And I always tell people to get over this fear, to to think of all the bad things that could happen and try to think of solutions to them in advance. Like, what if your wheelchair breaks when you're in a city that you don't know anybody in? What would you do? And if you think of a solution to that in advance, and a a good solution to that scenario is to find a a wheelchair repair shop before you hit the road and carry that number with you, Mm -hmm. that way if something happens, you feel better about it. You don't have to panic. It's not... So you you have a little more confidence when you go out there and travel, I think. Mm -hmm. Now, I know, Candy, you're on the road a lot, kind of researching accessible travel. Have you discovered any unique accessible travel opportunities that you didn't think would be available to the the accessible traveler or maybe surprising to our listeners to hear that, you know, that opportunity is available? Well, you know, one of the most interesting things that I found, and and I really didn't know how they could make this accessible, is a treehouse. Really? Yeah, I'm not, and actually, this one is out in your area. There is an organization called Forever Young, and they have a website at treehouses.org, 
And it's their whole thing to build accessible tree houses all over the country. And the first one that I found was, I said, out in your area at the Lewis Skinner Botanical Gardens in Richmond, Virginia. And they have this wonderful tree house, and you can just roll. I mean, it's not like the tree house that you build in your backyard as a little kid. This is sort of like, you know, Swiss Family Robinson on hormones. I mean, it's huge. You can roll up into it. It's not only great for wheelchairs, but moms, of course, with strollers. Um, there are no steps. And you can go all over in it, and, and it has these little exhibits and things that you can touch and play with. Um, but it's a really great experience because you can just go up and play with all the other kids in the treehouse. And, uh, well, you know, the adults like it, too. So I thought that was really, I mean, you know, sometimes adults can have more fun than kids. At Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but that was one of the ones that I just really, um, you know, it's like, wow, I can't believe they can make a treehouse accessible. But, you know. Mm -hmm. Are are there any opportunities, uh, volunteer opportunities in particular, that are accessible and available to the accessible traveler? Um, You know, I I haven't really found anyone that are... um you know, wheelchair accessible. Um. That's okay. That's okay. We'll uh, give us both a point of, of research. But what what does the, the future hold for accessible travel? Are there any new developments on the horizon that you're aware of? Um, well, you know, I got, and this goes right back to, you can't believe it was they're going to make it accessible. There are these folks up in Sonoma, over here in California, that are actually making ballooning accessible. Now, they sent me their their pictures. They're having the gondola specially designed in the U.K. So that it's going to be, you can just roll right onto it. You don't have to climb up over it. And they're going to have, like, a little window in it. So if you're sitting down in a wheelchair, you can actually, you know, see out of it because the gondolas are pretty high. And they're going to have tie-downs in it, and it's supposed to... Uh, be launched uh, early in April, so I'm uh, actually looking forward to seeing that one. That's going to be uh, quite interesting. What's the name of the company that's doing that? It's called Up and Away Ballooning, and they're in Sonoma, California. Okay. Wow, that that sounds so cool. Ballooning something I've never uh, I've never had the pleasure of doing. So this will this will uh, this will pique my interest, actually. <laughs> well, yeah, you should look them up and, uh, you know, come out to California and give it a try. I'll never say no to a trip to uh, to California. Um, <laughs> and I just want to, for our listening audience to know, uh, we have a link to your website, EmergingHorizons.com, on uh, the show page at WorldFootprints.com, as well as links to your books, uh, Barrier-Free Travel, 101 Accessible Vacations, and there's room at the inn, uh, and those will are all listed on uh, the show page plus your guest page. Uh, but Candy Harrington is uh, the founder of uh, Emerging Horizons, and we thank you so much, my dear, for joining us today on World Footprints. Oh, well, thank you. It's great to be there again. Thank you for sharing this time with us today. We always look forward to seeing you here and to connecting with you on our multiple platforms and social networks. And you can find links to everything and sign up for our newsletter and travel deal alerts at worldfootprints.com. Also, if you want to offset your carbon footprints, visit our new feature on our website that will allow you to do just that and invest in a United Nations approved community project. You can find our carbon off feature in the travel portal on our website at worldfootprints.com. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we'll see you again next week. And until then, we wish you blue skies and purposeful travel that leaves positive footprints one step at a time.
Hi guys, my name is Sandy Best, the Sandy Best from Lake Louise. Where's Lake Louise? It's in Alberta. Alberta's in Canada, Banff National Park, natural beauty. The only place you should go with is World Footprints Radio, because they spend their time looking at those special places that are not tourist traps, there are not thousands of people. For the best on the planet, go with World Footprints Radio. World Footprints Radio is a presentation of Travel and On Media Productions, LLC. All rights reserved.